0: Well, good evening, whether this is your first time here or whether you have been here for longer than the carpet, we are so glad to have you with us. Uh, If this is your first time or you're relatively new, uh, we want you to know the series we're finishing tonight is actually for you. We've been listening to different leaders among us uh, share about how God has worked in our lives and scripture he's used to do that. And my story relates to uh, this question that I will ask you. How is your search for lasting happiness going? Quick happiness is easy, right? It's a snack from the pantry. It's streaming something online. But lasting happiness, where is that kind of indestructible joy found? Well, the scripture for tonight speaks to that, and it may surprise you. It's in the New Testament, in a book called Philippians, which was written by someone who was very familiar with great success and with deep suffering. It's in chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. If you want to grab the Bible on the pew rack in front of you, it's on page 1829. Again, that's Philippians 3, verses 7 through 11. I love these verses so much, it's been my email address for about 15 years. Now, you, those of you who have emailed me know why my email address is so weird, because it's a kind of a funky abbreviation of it. So I'll read it. I encourage you to follow along. Starting in verse 7. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. This is God's word. So just two parts to this sermon, to my story and the way we'll look at the the scripture tonight. Two questions. Where is lasting happiness found and how do we get there? So first... The source, where? If you look at verse 8, this is where our answer begins. He says, What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. I know the grammar there is a little funky, maybe a little hard to follow. So if we were to simplify it, here's what it would say Everything, tangible, Intangible is rubbish. I know we don't use that word much. The original word in the original language is actually much stronger. It's the kind of stuff you would see flowing in the gutters in the slums. Now, the author's not saying everything is of no value, but that its value in comparison to something is so great that it seems like garbage in comparison now a little warning here whatever comes next is gonna be hard for us to hear because by one measurement half a trillion dollars is spent every year in advertising and marketing to train us to want and to lust and to hunger and to need things in that everything category so uh, well compared to what? So pause there for a second I'm going to start in my story and kind of bring us up to this uh, point. So my own life uh, my search for happiness as boy began normally enough uh, for a little guy in this country it involved a beautiful brown banana seat bicycle that took curbs really well. Uh, Legos and G.I. Joe's Uh, sometimes I let my kids even play with those Legos now, every once in a while. Um, as I got older, uh, I tried to find some happiness in sports or in girls, and those, both of those always seemed to end in some kind of injury for me, um, <laughs> but uh, eventually I moved to a world of pretend, because I wanted so deeply to be liked, and uh, this wasn't happening, and so I got involved with games, and role-playing games, and eventually video games. Because um, when you have the gray hair that I have—you grew up with the video game, video game industry, and so I know some of you are salivating for the latest console under the Christmas tree. But one of the first consoles that I had was Pong. That wasn't a game; that that game was the whole thing. And if you remember ping pong, I don't know if y'all like paddles. It was amazing. Um, but they got better and uh, more more worthy places to. Feed my fantasy life, and I could have power and respect and even love, it felt like. Um, But eventually, that was dissatisfying, also, and I moved uh, to trying to be happy outside of the rules. Um, One time, uh, after having a run in with the police, um, my dad uh, took me on a tour of the juvenile court system in our town to kind of say, All right, this is the path you want, this is what it looks like. And so he had them put me in a jail cell and watch a court case and talk to a youth worker. And uh, we're driving home on the way back, and he says, what do you think? And I said, I think I want to be a lawyer. And it (laughs) wasn't, I don't think that's what he was going for, but I didn't really want that. I knew that wouldn't make me happy. No offense to the lawyers among us. But um, as I continued to color outside the lines morally, Um, It's not surprising that I picked up a couple addictions, one in particular that really had my number. And at first it didn't bother me. I could kind of do life and, and maintain the status quo without a lot of inconvenience. But as I got older, I realized the spiritual slavery that I was in. But God didn't leave me. He did not abandon me. To my addiction and he helped me see that life is more than worshiping created things he helped me see like this verse goes on to say that everything else is garbage compared to knowing Christ Jesus my Lord Jesus Christ is the source of lasting happiness now I know and for some of you it may seem like I just said Ultimate happiness is found in collecting stamps because there's a lot of fake news about Jesus these days. There's a lot of misinformation about who he is. I'm sorry to say he is not the Jesus of the American dream, just here to pump your life and liberty with lots of happiness. He's not even American. He's not even Western or Eastern, ultimately. He's not the Jesus of propaganda who just wants to get your vote or your dollar. He's not the Jesus that just happens to agree with all of our opinions. and He's not the myth that is promoted by so many university professors. The freedom and joy that God gave me began as I realized and admitted that I was wrong about who God was. Have you ever had that experience? I know it can be scary but millions on every continent, some at the cost of their lives, have found that he's worth it. He's so worth admitting. But he's so worth it shedding those wrong ideas we have about him. Well, so if those things are who he's not who is God well a key change for me came into my life when I realized something from scripture and that is that God is alien I didn't say an alien but in the most objective technical sense of that word he is other he is different when the Bible talks about his otherness and his differentness it is in a beautiful way, in an indescribable way, the word that the Bible uses is holy. Now, when we use that word a lot in U.S. culture it's got a negative connotation it's at, least at best boring or at worst it's ugly and controlling. But real holiness, this real, this beautiful otherness that God is is often about God's moral beauty. And it is more beautiful than the best story of sacrifice or courage or love or justice that has ever crossed the movie screens. But it's not limited to his ethical beauty. God's holiness, his otherness, his betterness applies to all his attributes. So his power is a holy power capable of being the intelligent designer behind everything that we've ever experienced. His wisdom is a holy wisdom capable of creating RNA and DNA and the physics of music. His love is a holy love. His justice is not like the imperfect systems of justice that we groan under, and on and on. Don't you want to know that kind of God? He will never become boring. So the other question and the other half of this sermon is, how? How do we get to him? Well, in my story, after I realized that being bad wasn't all it had been advertised to be, um, I started trying to to clean up. And temperamentally, this kind of came easy because I'm a pretty conscientious guy, so the details are easy for me to focus on. And then, as a music major in school, um, I don't know if any of you all are musicians or you've heard the phrase "practice makes perfect." Okay, you have heard it. Well, we used to say in music school, "practice makes permanent." Perfect practice makes perfect. So that just kind of ratcheted up my detailedness. And then in the military, where they kind of like you to be a little um, obsessive—not a speck of dirt, not a crease out of place on the uniform. It just got ratcheted up all the more, and I applied that discipline to my relationship with God. And I wish that I had known the warning in this passage. Because just before our verses, the author gives a surprising warning. He says, Watch out! These people are trying to make you religious. What? Well, I, I thought the Bible was trying to make me religious, I thought that's what the Bible was for. Well, the author is warning that for doing good things to get to God it's not gonna help us and this idea doing good to get to God permeates every world religion except for Christianity steps we have to do to enlightenment or to nirvana or whatever even in tribal religions there's things you have to do to appease the spirits. I would argue even for those of us who are secular or irreligious, there's a code of ethics that we try and maintain, even if we're trying to prove to no one else but ourselves that we're acceptable. That's why we have stuff called uh, virtue signaling, right? Trying to show that we are on the right side of history. Why do we do this? Well maybe, I'm speculating right now, maybe it's because we're used to keeping score. We're used to being measured. Everything from our waist size to our portfolio size, our resume, our zip code, the kind of car we drive, who's on our arm at the party, our kids, and even that record of our wrongs that our loved ones can pull out at the most inopportune times. But scripture says that ultimately, it's because we all know that there's a standard of right and wrong outside ourselves. I know that it's much easier to say, well, you've got your truth and I've got my truth. But here's a benefit. Of all these last many months, all the rants and rage and riots, one of the things that they reveal is that we don't really believe that because Nobody in the same breath says who experiences being a victim or who identifies with someone who's a victim, nobody says, I can't believe you did that, but that's that's your truth. I have my truth, and obviously you have your truth, and that's okay. All of our arguments in those moments assume a standard of right and wrong outside ourselves. So Romans 2 says... Well, so we try to be good. So is that so bad? Well, the author, Paul, was an expert at being good. He was a super religion man. And he actually, in, in this passage, just before a verse, he says, Look, tell those religious leaders trying to make me more religious that I'm actually more religious than all of them, and that that's not the way. And I don't have Paul's resume, but I was... Doing a lot of good stuff. I was teaching and leading at a young age. I was mentoring kids from the country, in the suburbs, and the, and the inner cities. I was on a vocational path to a life of service. I would spend two hours a day memorizing scripture, and I wouldn't have the next meal till I had said the chapter for the day word perfect. And packed away sixteen hundred verses in my memory that way. I mean. Heck, Billy Graham was in the congregation at the little church when I was baptized. That's got to count for something, right? (laughs) Like our passage says, I consider it all loss. Well, why? Doggone it. Why is it such a bad thing to do good stuff to get God to like us? Well, God is holy, and we wouldn't think his justice was very beautiful if he was like, you totally victimized that person? Don't worry about it. We've got a sin problem, this cosmic treason that we're guilty of. And so trying to address our sin problem with good deeds is like looking at someone who has cancer and saying, hey, why don't you just hit the gym more? Hitting the gym is great, but it's not going to solve the problem. So what's the solution? Verse 9 tells us. I want to be found in him, in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. In other words, not being acceptable to God because of what I do, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. In other words, the moral goodness God requires He offers if we will receive it as a gift. First Corinthians 1 says, "This will sound crazy." Because who does this? I mean, who walks up to you and says, "You have a mortgage or school loans or some consumer debt? Can I pay that off for you?" Who takes on someone else's debt? And even more remember, our sin makes us God's enemies and so trying to think of what this would be like, if you can imagine one of the relatives of a person who was just run over in Kenosha, Wisconsin, I think it was Wisconsin. And they look at the driver and they say, hey, if you've got to do time, I hear you you might be up for five life sentences. If you have to do time, can I do one of those for you? Who does that? God does that. His love is a holy love, not like any love we've ever encountered. If the cross of Christ does not make us stop and kind of cock our head and wonder, maybe, maybe, We don't understand who we are or who he is, what he's done on the cross for us. Well, the relief I realized, the relief I experienced when I realized I could get off of the moral treadmill was life-changing. I hope you get to experience that as well. That's Philippians 3, and that's my story in a nutshell. God not only freed me from my addiction, He freed me from my good deeds, and now I get to obey Him, I get to love. Not because I have to, but because He's already done it for me. So now that you've had heard how it was for me, how, I'll ask again, how is your search for lasting happiness going? Don't you want to be with the one who will never become boring, who made every good pleasure we can experience? And aren't you tired of trying to get to him on your own? If you're new here, or if some of this has kind of got your wheels turning, we would love to talk with you. Grab the friend who brought you, grab one of us who looks like we've been here longer than the carpet, Um, and uh, let's talk. We'd love to hear your thoughts, questions, pushback, whatever. Let's pray. Oh Jesus, why in the world would you give your life for us? Doesn't make any sense other than that you are holy, your love is holy We worship you, Lord, that you are the source of deep, indestructible joy, and you get us there. In Jesus' name, amen.